Today's Bible reading is taken from Exodus chapter 4, verse 18 to 31. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are, who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off his son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. The word of the Lord. Almighty Father, uh, as we come to your word, we ask for your spirit to work and to be among us. Lord, your word is sometimes very foreign to us. Uh, it's not always easy to grasp. And there are times where our hearts are very slow to trust you. But, Father, you are an, an intervening God. You, you break into our lives. You go down deep within us. Uh, you do the heavy lifting. And so we come um, slow of heart to believe. And, and yet, asking you, to help our unbelief. So will you do that? Thank you for your faithfulness. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. <clears throat> and um, turn back to that, uh, that reading. Uh, on page 8, uh, we're continuing our series in uh, the book of Exodus. And friends, that's a weird reading. Can we agree on that? Um, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible's a weird book. And, and the Bible regularly says very, very strange things. And, um, and this is really weird. So uh, I don't know if you caught it, but right there, um, verse 24 and following, God nearly kills Moses, uh, except he is uh, just barely saved through the mad knife skills of his wife Zipporah. That's weird. Um, and then 
in addition to that, just before that, there's this uh, confrontation or this planned confrontation between Pharaoh and God where God says that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. There's a lot of weird things in this passage and we're going to have to do a lot of work. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it, I, I think it's worth taking a minute and just observing the fact that um, it is tempting to, when we come across Bible passages that uh, trouble us, alarm us, confuse us, uh, fill us with some degree of, what in the world? It's tempting to skip over those passages or ignore those passages. In fact, quite honestly, uh, I was thinking about skipping this one. Um, Exodus is a big book. We're not going to be able to read every bit of it in our services. And so I thought about uh, picking this one as a bit just to kind of skim over. However, here's the thing. Very often, uh, and if you're new to the Bible, well, actually, it doesn't matter. This is really important for all of us. Very often, the bits of the Bible um, that are difficult at the beginning end up bearing surprising fruit after we wrestle with it. Uh, very often, the bits of the Bible that are most challenging to us or seem most foreign to us end up displaying an aspect of God's beauty that we wouldn't have seen otherwise and that we will not kind of come to see in any other, any, any other way. And therefore, it's important that as a church, when we slam up against bits of the Bible that are uh, difficult, it's important that we don't uh, step back or skip it or run from it, but rather we want to dig into it and we want to have the courage uh, to do so and the intellectual honesty to wade into it. And that's what we want to do today. So there's no getting around. This is a weird reading. And a bunch of the aspects of this reading that are strange require a high, they just require a lot of context to understand what's going on. However, nonetheless, I want to, by the end of the sermon, point out to you that um, this passage is addressing something very, very important. This is a turning point in the life of Moses, this near-death experience. Because what happens in this reading is that God defeats hypocrisy in Moses and God's grace overturns the hypocrisy that is resident in Moses' life and instills and imparts a new kind of integrity that Moses did not have before. And so what we're going to learn is that God's grace overturns our hypocrisy and imparts a new integrity. And to show you that, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to look at the confrontation between God and Pharaoh you spend a lot of time on that. Got to fill in a lot of context. And then we're going to look at this confrontation between God and Moses. Confrontation between God and Pharaoh and then with Moses. First of all, context. Um, remember where we are at in the story. Israel is enslaved in Egypt, has, have been for a very long time. Moses has been a shepherd in exile for the last 40 years. And God has just introduced himself to Moses at the burning bush and sent Moses uh, to, in order to go to uh, Egypt and emancipate Israel from their slavery. Now, look at the message that Moses is supposed to bear to Pharaoh. Look at verse 26, and in particular, notice the word son. Verse 22, God, speaking to Moses, says, Then you shall go to Pharaoh and say this, Thus says the Lord, Israel, this is important, is my firstborn son. 
And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, watch, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, <clears throat> this is a watershed moment in the Bible, and it is a watershed moment in the whole history of Israel. Here's why. This is when the Lord speaks of his son. So as Christians, we usually think of the son of God is who? Everybody say it together. The son of God is? Jesus. Of course, you're absolutely right. However, at this point of the story, Israel, the whole nation, bears that title. And in order to understand that, we need to back up yet a little bit further. About 400 years before this, God had intervened, you know this story, in the life of a guy called Abraham. We've talked about this before. Abraham was a super flawed guy, did not deserve the blessing that God gave him. But nevertheless, God, in his grace, reached out, intervened in Abraham's life and said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a family. Despite the fact that you and your wife are not able to bear children naturally, I'm going to give you a family. And I'm going to bless your family and through your family, I will eventually bless all families. Now, the word that we use for this promise that God gives Abraham is we use the word covenant. Uh, a covenant, we don't really deal in covenants in our culture that much. A covenant is a little bit like a business contract, except far more uh, loving and relational. And on the other hand, a covenant is a little bit like a friendship, except it's far more binding on both parties. So God makes this promise, this covenant to Abraham and to his descendants. It's more uh, loving than a business contract and it's more binding than a friendship. And part of the deal was this. God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and all of your descendants and you're going to be part of my big plan for blessing the world. And I want your family to bear a sign of this covenant. This covenant in every generation must be signed and sealed and certified. And the sign of the covenant will be all your male children must be circumcised. In every generation, Abraham, this covenant is going to be renewed and applied to the new generation. And the sign that that is occurring is that your children, your sons, will be circumcised. Now, what does anything have to do with our reading. Well, take it back to our reading. Because like I said, this is a watershed moment in the history of Israel. Because what we find is that the Lord considers this covenant with Abraham made 400 years before. He considers this covenant with Abraham to be a covenant of adoption. Which is to say the Lord considered Israel as a whole nation, not just one nation among many, but the Lord considered Israel to be his child and his son. Now, bring that now, that information, to this confrontation with Pharaoh. Because it means that the story of Exodus is not just a story of national emancipation. It means that the story of Exodus is the story of the Lord rescuing his child. It's the story of the Lord looking at Pharaoh and saying, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. It's as if the Lord says, Pharaoh, you may think that Israel is your slave, and you may think that Israel is your property, but Pharaoh, you're wrong. 
Israel is neither of those things. Instead, Israel. Israel's deepest identity is that Israel is my son. Pharaoh, you're holding my son hostage and I'm not going to tolerate it, Pharaoh. So that ends now. You need to let my son go. I'm warning you, Pharaoh. And if you refuse to let my son go, then Pharaoh, it's as if God says, Pharaoh, you're going to discover what it feels like when justice gets angry. Let my son go now. Now, one of the things I want to point out, and we're going to have to come back to this again and again in, in Exodus, is that you've got to understand that the Lord's love for his son, Israel, and the Lord's hostility against injustice, they are allies, very close allies. It's not that the Lord's love and the Lord's justice are held in tension as if to increase justice means decreasing love or to increase love means to decrease justice. That is not the way the Lord works in the Bible. The Lord's covenant of love for Israel means that he must pursue justice against anyone who holds his son captive, namely Pharaoh. And therefore, the central confrontation in the book of Exodus is set up. The Lord is going to rescue his son from Pharaoh who is holding his son hostage. But now, let's add another aspect to it. Because did you see in verse 21, did this trouble you? Verse 21 tells us that the Lord is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. That there's some way in which the Lord is going to actually increase the hardness and the resistance that Pharaoh's heart holds towards the Lord. And that seems, that's one of the troubling things in this passage. What's going on here? Well, all through the book of Exodus, we've seen this previously, all through the book of Exodus, Pharaoh's heart is very important. And Pharaoh's heart is driven by fear and by desire. By the way, all the rest of our hearts are driven by these things in a deep way as well. Uh, we saw this in the previous Pharaoh, but it plays out in this Pharaoh as well. Pharaoh desires a number of things. He de desires uh, power. He desires economic prosperity. We saw that in chapter 1. But he is also deeply afraid. And in particular, according to chapter 1 of Exodus, he is afraid with respect to national security threats. He's afraid Israel's going to turn on him. And that fear and that uh, desire work together to make Pharaoh cling on to Israel. He will not let them go. And it makes him resist the Lord. He doesn't want to hear the word of the Lord. Now, the way the Lord responds to this is very important. There are times in the book of Exodus where it says that Pharaoh chooses to harden his own heart. He doubles down on his fear and his, and his desire and he resists intentionally the Lord's purpose and the Lord's voice and the Lord's warning. There are other times, like our passage, when it says that the Lord hardened his heart. We get a little bit more of more information in the rest of the Bible. And in particular, the book of Romans deals with this issue. And according to the book of Romans, it is not that 
Pharaoh's heart is soft naturally. And that the Lord sort of reaches into his heart and miraculously hardens it. That's not what happens. According to the book of Romans, what happens is the human heart naturally defaults to desiring self and not desiring the Lord. And that the Lord gives us over to our desires at times. That is to say, there are times, according to the book of Romans, and it seems to be what's happening here, where the Lord says, looks at a heart who is hardened, and the Lord says, okay, I will give you precisely what you want. I will give you yourself. I will give you over to those things that you desire more than you desire me and those fears that reign over you more than your fear of me. And the thing that we've got to see is that it is, there's a deep justice to it precisely because the Lord is giving Pharaoh precisely what Pharaoh prefers. It's a tragedy. And it's a warning to us about the terrible danger of our hard hearts. Now, that brings up a thousand other questions, doesn't it? Don't worry, we'll come back to it several times as we walk through Exodus. But now, we need to look at the second confrontation. This confrontation between the Lord and Moses. And this is the one that's really, really surprising, right? Look at verse uh, 20, uh, 24. Moses and his family start off to go back to Egypt in order to obey the Lord. They are on mission. The mission to rescue Israel has begun. Moses' family is doing precisely what the Lord has asked them to do. And yet, kind of without any warning, in verse 24, the Lord shows up one night, and we do not have almost any of the details, but the Lord tries to kill Moses. Now, what in the world is going on there? Well, let's put the pieces together. Moses, we don't know why, had not circumcised his son. Who cares about that? Well, the Lord cares. And the reason the Lord cares is because of that covenant with Israel 400 years before this. In that covenant with Israel, circumcision was a sign that the Lord's adoption was being passed and was valid for every subsequent generation. And for some reason, was it because Moses was afraid like Pharaoh? Was it because Moses had desires that were contrary to the Lord's purposes? We don't entirely know, but we, all we know is that for some reason, Moses had chosen to stop the sign of the covenant at the birth of his son. He did not circumcise his son. And it's a sign, it's kind of a countersign against the covenant. It's as if Moses says, Lord, I am obeying you a lot. Come on, give me some credit. I'm going on your behalf to Egypt and I'm going to like liberate your kid. You're welcome. But when it comes to my own family, this is a little sphere where my authority reigns. I'm not going to circumcise my son. Maybe he can make a choice later on, I don't know. But in this little sphere called my family, says Moses to the Lord, my rules apply 
and your lordship doesn't quite get this far. Now compare Moses with Pharaoh. Both of them are withholding a son. Pharaoh is publicly resisting the Lord and holding the Lord's son hostage. Moses is withholding his son from the Lord privately, secretly. Moses, or Pharaoh's offense is public. Moses' offense is private, which is to say Moses is a hypocrite at this point. Moses lacks integrity. And he's about ready to be made the public leader of all Israel. And nevertheless, precisely at that moment, he's secretly acting a little too much like Pharaoh. And the Lord's love for Israel and the Lord's love for Moses' son combines with the Lord's commitment to justice. And he treats Moses in that moment just like he treats Pharaoh. The Lord considers hypocrisy a capital offense here. Um, that doesn't change in the New Testament, by the way. Uh, have you ever read Jesus? You know, you've read the Gospels. Um, do you remember when Jesus gets angry? When does he get angry? He gets angry at leaders without integrity. Hypocritical leaders. Publicly obedient, secretly resisting the Lord's purpose. Do you remember what ruined King David's reign, the greatest king in the history of Israel? What ruined his reign? Secret hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is always secret, but he secretly commits adultery and then he murders a husband to cover it up. The Lord doesn't tolerate it. And here, if Moses assumes leadership of Israel while harboring secret hypocrisy, he will end up being a scourge on Israel, like so many of the leaders of Israel that will follow him. He'll end up a little too much like another pharaoh. And the Lord's not going to have it. And therefore, the same hostility against pharaoh's injustice now breaks out against Moses. You know, it's important to see um, before any of the plagues against Egypt, there's going to be ten plagues, and they're bad. Against any, before any of those plagues, um, the Lord's judgment comes down first upon Moses. Uh, one of the things that this means is that God is not a partisan. Um, God does not wink at evil and he doesn't wink at evil in the hearts of those who claim to be his servants. The Lord does not look at someone and say, oh my, I really am indebted to this person for their obedience in this area. And therefore, I'll kind of overlook an area of lack of integrity in another area. And so we get to wrestle with this, right? Because are we, are, Emmanuel, are you um, troubled by hypocrisy? When you see hypocrisy in church leaders, does it trouble you? 
I hope it does. And I hope you will never tolerate it. When you see business leaders or national leaders without integrity and that act hypocritically, does that trouble you? I hope it does. Because we need to understand that as much as it troubles us, it is a deep and profound offense against God. It infuriates God with a just kind of fury. It is an offense against his love. It's an offense against his justice. Those are always allies. It infuriates the Lord. And no one can hide from him. And no one can hide from him, from him even if we invoke his name a lot. And I... I emphasize this, friends, because it's one of the easiest spiritual traps to fall into. I'm a baptized Christian, and therefore I'm on the team that's okay. Or I'm part of this particular association, and therefore I'm on the team that is okay. And these things can become uh, uh, lures or distractions, diversions that can make us blind to the areas of hypocrisy that are resident within our own hearts. And therefore I have to say this. If we are troubled by the hypocrisy in leaders, then friends, turn that criticism upon our own hearts. Because the grave danger, of course, is that if we hide our lack of integrity by a, a religious veneer, and if deep down we overlook the fact that our desires and our fears are pushing against the purposes of God, then the grave danger is that the Lord can give us exactly what it is that we want, which is not him. And we can find our heart being hardened. It's tough, isn't it? But now, we're ready for actually the happiest part of the story, which is not what you thought it was going to be. Do you know what liberates Moses from his hard-hearted hypocrisy? His knife-wielding wife called Zipporah. I don't know what made her do it. And let's not speculate. <laughs> but she clearly took matters into her own hands. I don't know how she analyzed the situation, but she grabbed a knife. And there was an emergency circumcision. Let's leave it at that. But here's what's important. Emmanuel, this is important. She intervened on behalf of her husband. She obeyed the Lord on behalf of her husband. She surrendered fully to the Lord when, in the moment when her husband was saying no. But in a remarkable way, her full surrender to the Lord counted for her husband. Another way to say it is that she's a mediator. A mediator is someone who steps in and intervenes and does something for someone that they cannot do for themselves. That's what she does. For the rest of the book, Moses will take up the mantle of mediator. 
Moses will become a mediator for the whole nation of Israel. But before he can become a mediator, he must, he needs someone to be a mediator for him. And it's his wife. The man married very well. And what's interesting, of course, is that this experience of grace, this experience of mediation, it changes Moses for forever. Look at the end of the reading. Do you notice several times at the end of the reading, the word all occurs? It's a very important word, A-L-L. Moses does all that the Lord asks it from this point. Now, it doesn't mean he's a perfect man. He makes loads of mistakes. But nevertheless, from this point onward, he is surrendered to the Lord in a way that he wasn't previously. Which is to say, grace mediated through his wife defeats hypocrisy in Moses. Grace mediated through Zipporah imparts a new integrity to Moses that he did not have before. It's an instrument for taking his hardened heart and softening. And the same happens for us. You know, one of the biggest questions in the whole of the Bible is the question, how can a hard, hypocritical heart be softened? Runs right the way through. Don't have time to show you, but it does. Do you know what we need? Do you know how we overcome a hypocritical, hardened heart? It's not just by walking alone by yourself in the park and saying, I'm going to try to soften my heart today. It doesn't happen. You know what we need? We need a Zipporah. We need a mediator. We need a greater Zipporah. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ is. Because Jesus Christ, the fulfillment, the perfect son of God. Israel was the son of God, but it could only kind of anticipate the true son of God. Jesus Christ shows up and he is true Israel. Perfect Israel, the true son of God. And he intervenes and is the mediator on behalf of wildly hypocritical hearts like ours. Jesus suffered the penalty of our unbelief in our hard hearts. Hypocrisy is a capital offense, and Jesus obeyed and surrendered fully and suffered the penalty of that capital offense. And the Lord counts Jesus' obedience to our account just like he counted Zipporah's obedience to Moses' account. And what happens is the moment Jesus' mediation takes hold, the moment Jesus' intervention grabs us, the moment we receive and trust in Jesus' grace and not our efforts, Jesus comes into our hearts and transforms it. Or, to use the New Testament word, Jesus circumcises our hearts. The circumcision of the heart is when Jesus surgically reaches down into our hard hearts, cuts it open, And makes it soft and new. So that we desire the Lord more than we desire ourselves. So that we fear the Lord more than we fear any other thing. And that is the moment when that hard-hearted, pharaoh-ish type heart in us is defeated. And that's when we live in the joy of being the full, free children of God.
So, I end with questions. Emmanuel, are you aware of the hypocrisy resident in your heart? We see it outside us quite clearly, but can you see it inside you as clearly? And then do you feel the danger of that hardened heart? What is it that you desire? What is it that you fear? And what is it that you're trying to hide from the Lord and perhaps even from yourself? And then do you see the mediation of Christ? He is the greater Zipporah. And he was broken so that you could be put together, so that you could be set free. And do you trust Jesus for, for that mediation to do for you what you cannot do for yourself? And do you feel Jesus cutting open your heart and making it new so that you can be the covenant child of God in full freedom? Emmanuel, when the Lord does that, we will respond like Israel does in verse 31. Hearing the word from Moses, that new-made man, Israel responded like this. And the people believed, trusted, that is. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed down their heads and they worshipped. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.